In a Manner of Speaking, a monthly podcast on the spoken word. Episode number 37, February 2021. Polari, the secret language of gay men. A conversation with Paul Baker. Hi, Paul Meyer here. Welcome. I'm very pleased that the new streaming edition of my Accents and Dialects for Stage and Screen has been very well received. It's become popular among actors of all stripes, and it's the required textbook for dialect courses in many university theatre departments and drama schools. In fact, the impetus for this new edition, all the vital accompanying sound files streamable from any internet-connected device, came mainly from students. Many no longer have CD drives to play the CDs that came with the older edition. But I will continue to offer that edition alongside the new one. I will say that the new streaming edition is the better buy. Not only could we lower the price, having no CDs to bind into the book, but it also has three more dialects than its predecessor. You can order either edition from Paul My Dialect Services or from Amazon in your country of residence. If you already have, many thanks. Hope you're enjoying it. Now, guess that accent. Last time I played this clip and challenged you to say where on the planet the speaker grew up. I lived in an apartment and not in my place, so I stay away for the week. But then in the weekend I have the opportunity to come back. But here, just after four or five months, I can go home. And so I have to organize my whole life here. And this means study, work, but also live. And also... If you guessed Italy, congratulations. It was Ideas Italy 4, contributed way back in 2000 by my student at the time, Yuji Tsuboi. If you're listening, Yuji, I hope you're doing well. To hear the whole recording, search for Italy 4 at dialectsarchive.com. Now, for this month's challenge, where did this speaker spend her formative years? I didn't speak English very well. I had to learn the conversation and how to do a conversation with people. I took some classes in college. I started speaking to people. I got a job as a cashier. So I had to learn how to deal with people and how to talk to them and how to start a conversation with them in English. And that's how I learned English, uh, under pressure, actually. Get the answer next time on In a Manner of Speaking. Last month, I promised you a solo podcast. No guest speaker, just me. But I'm happy to put that off again until next month and to welcome Paul Baker. He's the author of Polari, The Lost Language of Gay Men, and Fabulosa, The Story of Polari, Britain's Secret Gay Language, and more than 20 other books and articles. He's a professor and British linguist at the Department of Linguistics and English Language of Lancaster University, United Kingdom. For more information on him, See the webpage on paulmeyer.com devoted to this month's podcast. I referred to Professor Baker in podcast number 27, my March 2020 podcast on secret languages. I expressed the hope then that he might be able to join us to talk about Polari, but it's taken this long to book him as a guest. Luckily, he finally had a spare hour for me, and this being LGBTQ History Month in the UK, the timing couldn't have been better. Well, Paul Baker, welcome to In a Manner of Speaking. Hello, Paul. I did a podcast almost a year ago on secret languages, and I referred to you and your books at that time, but it's taken us a year to get together to actually speak about Polari 
in person. So let's kick off with asking you why you find Polari so interesting. You've you've studied it almost all your academic life, I believe, starting with your PhD thesis. So why is Polari so fascinating? I think what first drew it to me was that it's just funny. It was used to make people laugh. And there's a kind of pleasure in using the words and phrases. I think a lot of them have a kind of poetic feel to them. And the people who spoke it were very creative and they like to invent new terms, terms you'd remember. They use lots of rhyming and assonance in it. So you've got words like lily law with that repetition of the L or another term would be lally drags, which has that sort of um, repetition. Policeman, of right? Slang for policeman. Yeah. Yeah, Lily Law is policeman and Lally drags his trousers. Lally's are legs and drag his clothing. So you combine them and you get trousers. Um, and it's got that kind of nice assonance sound to it. So that was one reason why I thought it was um, interesting. But it's also more the context, the kind of secret forgotten nature of it. There are so many questions that kind of come up about it. You know, where did these words come from? And also, why did the whole thing go away as well? It's a real kind of curiosity. There's a mixture of layers of lots of different forms of slang from different communities and time periods in there. And also it's interesting from a kind of social history perspective. It's really about men who were shunned by society. They were seen as either criminal or irrelevant. And these men didn't get to be the heroes in novels or films. They were ignored at best if they were in a, in a piece of fiction, it was for comic relief. And so telling the story of Polari also lets us tell their stories, you know, and there's some really fascinating um, you know, people who spoke it. I got to speak to some really interesting people, drag queens, people who'd left home at the age of 18 to go and work in the merchant navy and see the world. Um, you know, and, and their stories were fascinating. Language or dialect? Is Polaria a language or a dialect? Um, it's somewhere in the middle, I'd say. It depends on who's speaking it. At its most simple, I think it's just a collection of a few words, um, you know, sort of vocabulary, and you have to use a lot of English around it. So if you listen to something like the Julian and Sandy sketches, you get that sense that they're mainly speaking English, but they're showing in the odd word of Polari here and there. But some of the speakers who got very adept at it were using it in ways which were approaching a language. So it had a kind of different grammar to English, which was often quite telegraphic. Um, and it couldn't really be understood, um, even if you had a, a kind of um, phrase book in front of you, that it would be spoken in a way which would be quite complex. And it was spoken to be complex as well. They did that on purpose. So I think it approaches a language, but it's maybe not so much, um, you know, it's not as simple as a dialect for some people. I do remember seeing a short film, the title of which escapes me, two men having a conversation on Hampstead Heath. Putting on the dish. Putting on the dish, right. Two men on Hampstead Heath in, in extensive conversation. It's a short film, maybe 10, 15 minutes, uh, not so much longer. I couldn't understand a word. Uh, even with a phrase book. What, what do you think? Would you have understood it if you hadn't studied Polari? Definitely not. No, no, I wouldn't have done. I mean, I, I, I think that's a very clever film and very well made and, and, and fascinating. The people who created it, you know, they, they're not speakers of the original language, but they, they, they had a phrase book. I think they used, um, you know, either something on the internet or one of the ones I'd written. And so they, they you know, they heavily used Polari in it. And they, they used the Polari from maybe different time periods as well, and, and from different communities, people who would have spoken it. So it's a kind of almost like a kind of, I don't know, like an uber Polari in a way. I'm not sure that, um, you know, original speakers would have known all of those words in that combination. So it's, um, it's, it's somewhat of a contrivance. Uh, it's, it's not a reflection of the way extensive number of people would have conversed, right? 
I think they may have used slightly different words and um, depending on the time period or, or the location. Um, so it definitely gives you, I think, a very strong flavour of it. But it's probably unlikely that you would have come across any speaker who would have known exactly that combination of words unless they were living in the 1990s and beyond and they, they had access to one of the phrase books which had sort of extensively charted all of the different different versions. Yes. Well, so let's get back to Polari's origins and, uh, and how it came to be adopted by gay men. Could you speak to that? Okay, so it's got a lot of different, different origins and the strongest link, I think, is through Italian and that comes from an older 19th century slang called Parliari, which sounds a bit like Polari, and that was used by travelling entertainers so heavily influenced by Italian and these are people coming over to the UK from, from Italy, joining kind of groups of traveling entertainers. And this is the sort of language that they're using to talk about things like their lodgings and costs of things um, and the different acts that they had. And then from that, you get sort of a progression where Parliari starts to get used in musicals in the UK in the sort of late 19th and early 20th century. And then gradually it sort of finds its way into theatres. It starts to get adopted and adapted by, by gay men, particularly those who are working in theatre contexts. And then from that, it sort of sort of gets onto the gay scene. Um, and then particularly you find certain groups of men using it, particularly drag queens or female impersonators, and also male prostitutes um, in London used it as well. Although not all of those identified as gay. They used to be called dilly boys, right? Because they played their trade on Piccadilly. Is that true? Piccadilly Circus, yes. Yes, the Dilly Boys, yes. Mm. Uh, the spelling, of course, it, it's an, presumably most of its life it was an oral language. And, and so writing it down would have blown the secret, right? So we really have a variety of spellings. I mean, we can only guess at the spellings, perhaps, and perhaps even the, the concept of how to spell these words and the name itself, Polari, is, is moot since it was predominantly oral. Definitely so. It, it, was, it wasn't a, a written language at all, really. And we don't even have many recordings of people using it other than, you know, drag acts um, and, and radio sketches, but they come quite late on as well. And people were using it to be secretive. They were continuously inventing new words as old ones got discovered. And also they were using it in quite small friendship networks across the UK. And so you have sort of quite smallish groups of maybe five to ten men using it amongst themselves and they they're inventing new words for things that they find interesting or relevant. And they're also influenced by, you know, the, the wider societies around them. So people who spoke it in London spoke a different version of it to people who spoke it in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which is a city in the northeast of England. And some speakers there were more influenced by Dutch um, due to sea links between Holland and the northeast. So you get sort of these different influences coming in depending where you speak it. So there was no standard Polari, obviously. <laughs> no, no. And... Even the spelling of Polari itself can differ. Some people spell it with an A, so P-A-L-A-R-Y. One of the academics who was who was kind of studying it quite early on, um, a guy called Eric Partridge, he spelt it P-O-L-A-R-I. And that kind of has been the spelling I think that a lot of people have adopted since then. But I still get people who are very cross when they see the title of my book and they kind of write to me an email and say, you know, you spelt it wrong. That's not the way it's spelt. And <laughs> I have to say, I know there's just so many different ways. There's about seven different ways of spelling it. I can't yeah. please everybody. Sorry. It was most recognisable to me from the Italian, isn't it? Parlare, to, to speak in, in Italian. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's where it comes from. But even that, I think many of the, the English speakers would have not spoken it with a strong Italian accent. Right. They would have spoken it with their own accents. And so they may have you know, dropped the, the, like the kind of R sound from it. And, yes. um, and that's how you get these different potential um, pronunciations and then also spellings um, which come from that. 
Right. Now, my first encounter with Polari, like most Brits, I suspect, was from the highly successful Round the Horn radio comedy program on the BBC. I think it came on at Sunday lunchtime, and a family entertainment. And um, let's talk about the Julian and Sandy sketches, because I guess that's the first time Britain really, uh, the mainstream, heard these words. But if they were like me, they didn't even know they were hearing a secret gay language. Talk about the Julian and Sandy sketches and the importance of that in the history of, of this language. Well, the nice thing about Julian and Sandy was that the people who, Julian and Sandy themselves, the actors, um, were were gay and the actors had used Polari and known about it long before the sketches were, were ever created. So there was a kind of authenticity to it. But obviously they couldn't speak the whole sketch in Polari because no one would understand it. So they used a very kind of watered down version. They took out most of the rude bits of, of the language as well, I think, because it was going out on a Sunday afternoon, so they couldn't be too rude. Although there's a lot of innuendo in there. Oh, also, yes. some, some, some of the jokes are a little bit ruder as well than maybe you'd, you'd expect them to be. They sort of got past the censor, perhaps the censor didn't even know what was going on. That's right, that's right. I mean, at the time, there was a, um, a kind of clean-up um, the media campaign led by a, um, a woman called Mary Whitehouse. Mary Whitehouse, who, yes. She took um, a newspaper called Gay News to Court. So she, she didn't like gay people at all. And she did complain about Round the Horn, but she didn't complain about Julian and Sandy. She complained about a different sketch. I think hopefully, or possibly, the, the, the Polari actually was part of the reason why you know, she didn't complain about them because she didn't understand it well enough <laughs> um, to complain. Yeah, it was incredibly popular. And uh, everybody used to put on the voices and uh, imit- imitate Julian Sandy. Oh, ducky and oh, nice. And, you know, everybody did. It was playful. It was ludic. It was, it was uh, you know, as far from the sort of darker aspects of it, the, the secrecy, the, uh, the avoidance of prosecution. But, I mean, I suppose there was that darker, dangerous side as, as well as the playful side, right? There was. People now sometimes have complained about Julian and Sandy as being stereotype and, and sort of silly and apolitical. But, you know, I think at the time they were very groundbreaking because they were very cheerful, they were very confident, um, they stuck together. And I don't think they cared about what people thought about them as well. They were just being themselves and, and they were much funnier and wittier than anybody else in the room. Um, so they would always have something, something to say back to any criticisms. Um, so I think, you know, they were, they were quite positive role models for the time. Um, but later on, I don't think maybe they were seen um, as very good and, and, and may have been part of the reason why, why Polari went out of fashion a bit later on. Well, but before we get into its demise and, and deeper aspects, let's not tease our audience any longer. Let's, <laughs> let's play a little Julian and Sandy. Here's a piece. I was going to Cornwall for a few days rest and I wanted to take some reading matter with me. You know, there's nothing worse than being in loo with nothing to read. <laughs> so I popped into a bookshop in the King's Road. It was called Boner Books. Hello, anybody there? Oh, hello, I'm Julian, and this is my friend Sam. Oh, hello. Hello, Julian. Hello, Oh, lovely to see you, Mr. Orne. Come in, troll round. Are you, um, are you looking for something 
between hard covers or something to slip in your pocket. We have an enormous selection of livres de poches. That is your actual French for posh books. Yeah. <laughs> livres de poches. Yeah. How about a nice classic? Mm. We stock every Omi's edition. Mm. Would you be interested in Spencer's Fairy Queen? No, he's... <laughs> he's not interested in mine. Oh! <laughs> Me bold! <laughs> Well, there's your Wilkie Collins, Pallone in white. <laughs> or how about a nice Moroccan-bound Poe? That's nice. <laughs> that is nice. That is nice. Uh, including such masterpieces of the macabre as the Telltale Heartface, ah. Fall of Usher's Latty, and his masterpiece... Poe's Raven. Is he? <laughs> Never listen to gossip, Ducky. And then we do all your poetry here. Long go, Miss Hiawatha. Comes nice in your quarto, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Look, I'm not too keen on poetry, except Shakespeare, of course. Oh, oh, wow. We do our own edition of Shakespeare, don't Lovely. we? Yes. Mm. We've rewritten it ourselves in up-to-date Polari. Uh, Includes such things as Much Ado About Nanty, <laughs> All's Boner That Ends Boner, <laughs> Two Omies of Verona, and as they like it. Isn't that as you like it? Not really, but live and let live, I say. So deconstruct that for us. <laughs> One of the things I think is really nice about it is that they're really helping the audience who obviously don't know, um, you know, all of the Polari words. And so... One thing that they do is often they take a, a word of a phrase which is very well known, such as the title of a book, and then they kind of translate it into Polari. And so you're kind of already halfway there to knowing what what the you know what the, what the word is. So something like um, Wilkie Collins's Polone in White. You know, if you know you know his book is Woman in White, and you know that Polone means woman, that sort of thing. Um, so they're helping the audience an awful lot there. And um, there's not just kind of Polari in there too, but there's there's a lot of kind of um, you know references to you know, homosexuality in other ways, such as um, the, the fairy queen that gets mentioned. So you get, you know, two words for the price of one there, fairy and queen, for example. Yes. Um, and they also rely on stock phrases. So um, the phrase, how nice to void your eek, occurs in nearly every single sketch at the start, meaning how nice to look oh. at your face or how nice to see your face. Um, Bona, what is it? Bona to vada your dully eek, right? Lovely to see your pretty face, right? Yes, yeah. That was almost a catchphrase, wasn't it? It was, it was. Um, that that really became their kind of signature. Bone, how bonus of all your do your deek again, and and he, they'd say that to Mister Horn in every every sketch. Um, they, yeah. they kept meeting him in all these different situations, um, to the point where they start to kind of question his sexuality, wondering why he's always hanging around them and where he spends his <laughs> evening. And as the sketches go on, he starts using bits of Polari too, and that causes them always to scream, um, and then you know ask questions about how he how he came to pick up the words in the first place. Hugely popular. We we loved it. We'd we'd sit around the uh, the Sunday lunch table and uh, play those wonderful radio comedies as a family and just enjoy the hell out of them. Yeah. <laughs> Explain how eek for face derived. That sort of goes back to uh, back slang or rhyming slang or what. Yeah, so, so eek is a shortened word, um, and Polaris speakers did that a lot. They'd take an initial word and they'd mess around with it and change it in some way to make it even more complicated. So eek comes from ecaf, and ecaf is face um, pronounced as if it's spelled backwards. And this was a, you know, one of the kind of tricks that Polaris speakers had, that they'd use something called backslang um, to pronounce words backwards. So you get esong, which is nose, 
um, an e-fink, which is knife, e-cath for face, things like that. And raya for hair, right? Yeah, so that's another one, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it if Polari then shares dynamics with pigeons and creoles and other kinds of secret languages, the secret languages of children who are constantly inventing ways yes. to keep their conversation obscure from the el- from their elders is how does Polari relate to other forms of secret languages? Well, I think, yes, there's definitely that aspect of secrecy to it. I mean, these men were, you know, what they were doing was illegal and they could get into trouble. They could get beaten up or, or sent to prison or, or shamed in the newspapers um, for being gay if they were caught in certain places or certain situations. And so Polari was a, you know, a big, a big part of that secrecy and that they'd be able to conduct conversations, sometimes in quite public spaces, say if they were on a, on a train or a bus um, and they could talk about what they were doing last night or what they intended to do or or whether they fancied the person nearby, that sort of thing. Can you give an example of how that public secrecy conversation um, might have sounded? Can you give a, um, a phrase or two that yeah. might, have, might have alluded the general public but have been a, a code between the two speakers? So it was often used for, you know, for evaluating people or talking about people while they were present in this sense. So you've got a lot of adjectives in there and a lot of words to do with body parts and clothing and, 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 and types of people. So um, Varda was a very, a very common word you know, to, to see or look at. So you'd say something like, ooh, Varda the Omipolone Ajax with the um, bone Araya, which would mean look at that man over there with the nice hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and that became kind of something that they would just, just trip off their tongues. Um, they had to be careful with, with this, particularly if you used it in Italy. Um, one of my speakers told me about um, some friends of his who spoke it in an Italian shoe shop. And they were sort of talking about the guy who was measuring their feet and how, how good looking he was. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he just said, thank you, because he understood everything they were saying pretty much. <laughs> and everybody in the, in the, sh- the shop, um, they also understood it too, and they all burst out laughing. And the guy was very embarrassed and kind of ran out in, in shame. So you do have to be careful <laughs> about when you use it. But it was quite definitely um, a secret language, a, a code language to avoid prosecution or su- suspicion, right? It was. I, mean, I think if, if, pe- if people had heard it, they may have just assumed you were foreign or something like that and, mm. and, and, and sort of left you alone um, rather than trying to, to work out what was being said. Um, but I think also within the gay community, people kind of used it to to get one up on over each other, um, you know, People talk about the gay community as this, I suppose, a happy place where everybody gets on and likes each other. And it's just like any other community, really. It's not It's not this perfect world or idyll. Um, you get rivalries, particularly when you know people are interested in the same person. And so people sometimes used it to, to kind of confound each other. Um, and it would almost be seen as a mark of prestige if you knew quite complex ways of using it. So you could confuse other people who maybe only knew a few words. Um, there is definitely some sort of rivalry between men in the East End of London, where the form of there was quite complex and influenced by all sorts of other communities um, and, and languages such as Yiddish and languages coming in from the, the docks as well. And then you have people in the West End of London who are more either working in theatres or in, in shops in the West End, and they spoke a version which was much more similar to Julian and Sandy, mm-hmm. um, more simplified. So you kind of get a bit of a sense that the, the West End speakers um, didn't always understand what East End speakers were going on about, 
uh, were there points to be scored by your inventiveness with this? Could you could, could you gain prestige by the level of your inventiveness and uh, your use your creative use of the language? Very much so. Uh, they were you know they were inventing new words all of the time. It was also to make people laugh. I think even there was always a kind of a, an edge to it when you were being funny that you know you can also get away with being quite insulting. But ultimately, it was to make people laugh. And you know, people were sort of insulting each other. And in Polari, you know, there'd be an audience listening, and sort of they'd be entertained by this sort of almost mock battle between two two very very witty people. Um, Could you? Using yeah. It. So we know we can do comedy in Polari. Would there be a uh... Uh, a dramatic movie of the week possible in Polari? I mean, was it, were serious subjects and delicate subjects and sad things to be discussed in that? Or was it always comedy? I'm not sure. I think whenever Polari is used, there's always that sense of, of humour and irony and sarcasm and wit. Um, and I think it, it does make it difficult, I think, to sort of use, I suppose, you know, talk about quite dark subjects i think people did talk about dark subjects but they, the polari kind of made it made it funny or, or helped to make light of those dark subjects so it sounds as if the speakers of polari were always self-conscious they knew when they were using a, a language in an inventive or creative or purposeful way rather than that you and i are using english now uh, without consciousness that we're speaking a different language from the mainstream. So you, so you want to say, did it, did Polari make the jump to the unselfconscious use of it? I think in some communities it eventually did. And I know when I've spoken to people who worked in the merchant navy on on, on sort of big cruise ships run by P and O and things like that, and there were some men who spent you know almost all of their working lives on these ships, and they they would speak it just all the time. And I think in that sense, it, it did sort of become part of their identity and, you know, in a, in a way where it maybe wasn't self-conscious anymore. Great, great. So we know, we know that uh, homosexuality was decriminalised in Britain in 67. Is, is that the first step towards its demise or just the... How, how did it come to be reassessed and repurposed? There's a whole, yeah, there's a whole kind of set of factors, I think, around the late 60s and then 1970s that contribute to its demise. So you've got the decriminalisation of homosexuality, and that makes the the need for a secret less, although it doesn't go away altogether for a long time afterwards. Um, you've also got the, the Julian and Sandy sketches in Round the Horn, which yeah, they, kind of exposed the secret. They, they sort of outed the language, didn't they? They did. And, you know, I think it, it was... Probably by the late 60s, it was probably already starting to, to fade a bit anyway, I think. And to an extent, the Julian Sandy sketches gave it a little bit of a, a kind of a last a last um, go and introduced it maybe to some to younger speakers and helped to standardise it as well um, across the UK. But it also, you know, spoiled the secret because it, it told nine million listeners a week that it, what it existed and what some of the words were. Yes. So you have that. But I think there's also a kind of change in in kind of attitudes amongst gay people from the late 60s onwards in terms of how they view their sexuality. And a lot of the younger gay people, um, you know, kind of don't see a point in, in secrecy anymore. They want the opposite. They want liberation. And they're, they're looking to America for the kind of political movements um, going on there. Um, and they're looking to other movements such as um, women's liberation as well. And that, you know, concepts like gay pride are starting to come out and, and um, you know, the idea of coming out of the closet and, and openness. And so you, you get this kind of shift, I think, where Polari is seen as something which is going to keep people oppressed. It's going to keep people in the closet. And it's also seen as very 
you know, kind of feminizing and count, possibly making fun of women by emulating them or kind of playing into kind of mainstream society's gender roles about gay men as being feminine. And I think there was a lot of self-consciousness and, and about that at the time. People saw that as their negative representation. At the time, I think it's very understandable. Maybe people wanted to move away from that. I do wonder where that left people who are just naturally camp and how they felt about other gay people telling them, you know, that they didn't want to be like that and there were stereotypes. And I think, you know, from today's perspective, you know, I think there's potential now for, you know, lots of different ways to be gay, which are all equally valid. Um, but back in the 70s, I think there were, you know, possibly there was more of a problem, not with everybody who's a liberationist, but with some, I think. You also get an influence from America too. Um, so gay men start going over to America on holiday, visiting places like um, New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, and being incredibly impressed by the kind of organized gay scenes over there um, and, and the way that people are dressing, the, the leather men, the clones, and then they're coming back over to the UK and sort of taking that with them, that, that sense of identity, um, which is very masculine. And also taking taking kind of American gay slang words as well back with them. And, and Polaris slowly starts to, to kind of fade away and gets replaced by, by American words. Words like closet queen, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is, you know, closet is an Americanism. You know, in, in the UK, we talk about wardrobes more. And an equivalent of a closet queen in, in Polari was black market queen or BMQ. Mm-hmm. Black market refers to World War II and, you know, doing things in secrecy. But, you know, that term BMQ kind of goes out of fashion. You get closet queen coming in instead. A word like twink, for example, which is an American word for a kind of young, attractive gay man. That comes in um, around about the sort of early 1990s. Up until that point, young gay men had been called chickens, particularly by Polari speakers. But that kind of goes out of fashion as well. And even a word like bold, which um, Julian and Sandy said a lot. Mm, They always need bold. Um, And bold means possibly shameless, kind of outrageous, flamboyant. Uh, as well as courageous, perhaps? Yes, and courageous. And that kind of goes, and you sort of instead find words like fierce, which is, again, kind of coming from American slang and and, and kind of drag queen language. Mm. I mean, and it's not just with Polari. You see it a lot with other aspects of um, British English where Americanisms are kind of coming in all different places. So Polari never was adopted in, in the USA or, or perhaps any other country? Not really. I mean, I have had emails from, from, from American people who said that they knew it and used it, but not very many people. I think it never really broke, broke through um, into the US. Has some of the vocabulary survived and, and simply become mainstream? Might we recognize it's the origins of some words used today in Polari? One word is naff, which was a, a kind of slang word meaning you know something which is unfashionable or or not very good. There are all sorts of ideas about its possible origin or etymology, not all of which I think can maybe true, although some of them are quite funny. One of them is that it's an acronym um, for not available for fucking, but I, I think that probably came a bit later. Possibly it came from Italian, but that was a word which I think kind of made it into mainstream slang, and um, you know it, it was used in you know. British sitcoms in the 1970s and even Princess Anne was apparently quoted as saying it um, in in, in newspapers at one point when she fell off her horse um, during the badminton um, horse show trials and she told photographers apparently to naff off. Um, I actually think she may have said a a much ruder word but they probably out of respect changed it (laughs) for that. 
but in a sense even that kind of shows you know how it's becoming unfashionable if an actual member of royalty is saying it then yes. where does that leave all of the polari queens yes yes um you are the author of Fantabulosa, a dictionary of Polarian gay slang. What was the latest edition of that? And how, how late? I mean, it's such a constantly evolving slang. How recent is, is your current edition? In 2019, I wrote a, a new book called Fabulosa, um, the story of Polari Britain's secret gay language, um, which updates the, the dictionary ah, um, right. a, a little bit at the back, um, adds a few more words in, not many, but the book itself kind of updates the story of Polari because I'm, the other book I published just after finishing my PhD in 2003, I think. And since then, although you know there hasn't been this massive resurgence of people speaking Polari on the streets, there's been a lot more interest in it over the years. And one thing I wanted to do in the new book was talk about what people have been doing with Polari in the last 20 years or so, which for me has been very interesting to, to kind of be sort of watching on the sidelines. I, I read somewhere today as I was preparing for our chat that What's the television program Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? That um, zhuzh is is uh, used, meaning to, uh, to to decorate. Yes, yes, zhuzh. So um, the spelling of it um, can vary, but um, I like to spell it with a Z. It starts Z H double O S okay. H, I think. And, did, um, and yes, you can you can zhuzh um, someone's hair or raya, but you can also zhuzh uh, you know a house or, or a living room or something like that if you want yeah. to. Um, or, so to kind of to improve upon, I think, to tart up or titivate in yeah, some way. I, I guess you could zhoosh up your relationship as well, right? Yes, yes, you could. And I think it's really nice that that they use it so much in Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. That, that's a nice example of a, you know, a Polari word, which has actually crossed over into, into American slang. And your own relationship with Polari? I chose it because it was such a fun thing to, to study. I've kept with it. Um, I always find it a little bit difficult to kind of give examples or to talk about or talk in Polari myself because I don't think I'm the kind of person maybe who would have spoken it. I think I'm a bit too boring and stuffy um, <laughs> to really pull it off. So, so yeah, I think um, I'm, I kind of admire the people who spoke it a, a great deal. And it's been a pleasure meeting so many of them and also being able to kind of represent them and tell their story. But I, I kind of count myself on maybe on the, on the verge, on the, the limits of that culture rather than being part of it in a way, which, which is maybe good. It gives me a bit of distance from it. I'll always have a, a very soft spot for it in my heart. And thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you very much, Paul. And thanks to you for joining me, Paul Meyer, and my guest, Professor Paul Baker. Please don't forget to follow Paul Meyer Dialect Services on Facebook and me on Twitter at Dialect Paul. The clip from Round the Horn, Bona Books, starring Kenneth Horn with Hugh Paddock and Kenneth Williams as Julian and Sandy, was first broadcast on March 20th, 1966. Copyright the British Broadcasting Corporation. It's used here under the Copyright Doctrine of Fair Use. The topic for my March podcast, that solo edition I spoke of, is still germinating, but you can be sure it will have something to do with the spoken word. Next time on In a Manner of Speaking.